Welcome to Type Tune Tint. I'm Tom Kranz. Lake Superior in November. Harsh, unforgiving, deadly. Of the 6,000 shipwrecks recorded on the Great Lakes, perhaps none was as unusual or as unpublicized as the wreck of the city of Bangor. What made it so unusual? Its cargo of 220 brand new 1926 Chryslers, destined for car dealers in Minnesota. They never made it. The city of Bangor crashed into a reef in horrific winter weather, its crew and cargo stuck on a ship that wasn't going anywhere. Ice and snow fell relentlessly, creating an 8-inch frozen crust over everything. But somehow, all were rescued, crew and cars, in an epic story of human achievement told by my guest today, Larry Jorgensen, a lifelong journalist and history buff, in his new book, Shipwrecked and Rescued. And I'm joined right now by Larry Jorgensen. Larry sent me um, a copy, which I really appreciated, a signed copy of the new book we're talking about today called Shipwrecked and Rescued, subtitled Cars and Crew. So, you know, when I first looked at it, it's, it's a beautiful cover. It shows an iced over ship and black and white photograph of uh, vintage cars from the 20s. And I said, gosh, what could this possibly about? People, this is a great book. If you have any interest at all in just a great story uh, that has to do with shipwrecks, um, it's not even just about shipwrecks. It's really more about human beings accomplishing what seems to be an impossible task against all odds. Uh, and I'll, I'll let Larry talk more about that. Larry, first of all, thanks very much. You're joining us from the wilds of Wisconsin today, correct? That's correct. Uh Northern Wisconsin today, Upper Michigan, return to the scene of the wreck next week. Right. And you, so you have a history of being from that part of the country, right? Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Isn't that where you, you kind of honed your skills as a journalist, correct? Right. I, I started out in uh, Wisconsin. In fact, the town I'm at right now, Eagle River, was a high school student working for the local weekly newspaper. And we're talking the days of hot lead linotypes, okay? Oh, uh, from there to Milwaukee, to a, a publishing newspaper publishing company in Milwaukee, um, on to radio TV, and then back to Wisconsin uh, for a TV segment. Um, ended up being the news director at the NBC station in Green Bay. Folks, I'm just going to give you basically the thumbnail here. Imagine a massive ship on uh, in the Great Lakes, Lake Superior, basically almost sinking, but not quite running aground with a cargo of over 200 brand new cars. And this book that Larry uh, researched painstakingly with incredible details, I don't know where the hell you found out all this stuff, and maybe I don't want to know, but great details about the people, the cars, how they not only not only they finally made it to this shipwreck, which happened in the middle of winter at a time when there is no internet, no cell phones, no GPS, none of that stuff. They rescued the cars. First, they rescued the, the crew that had to basically get off this ship in sub-zero temperatures and trudge through snow drifts and ice until they finally found a safe harbor. 
And then they rescued, uh, you know, the outside company rescued the cars and whatnot. Larry, first of all, tell me how you found out about this ship, which was called the city of Bangor. And what, what interested you in this story? Well, you know, it's amazing because of all the shipwrecks, and there have been 6,000 on the Great Lakes. That's amazing. That's the first thing that shocked me. That's like the first sentence of your book. And I said, 6,000? Where the hell are all those ships? And those were the recorded ones. Who knows what else, you know? So, but this is the only one truly like this where the cars were rescued. There are a lot of cars on the bottom of the Great Lakes, Okay, um, because in those days, you know, they hauling cars by ship was a pretty convenient way to do it. You didn't have the good highways you have now. How did I find the story? You know, if you look at the map of all the shipwrecks, it's not on there. Hmm. You know, I've never heard the story before. And I've been to Upper Peninsula many, many times. I like it as a retreat. Um, I picked up a little booklet and it was about the Upper Peninsula and shipwrecks. So there's about a page and a half in there with a couple pictures of this this uh, rescue, of basically of the cars. And I thought, wait a minute. As much as I've been up there, I've never heard of this. And the people in the town, oh, yeah, it happened. And it isn't that neat, you know? Well, I was not satisfied with that. As an old news dog, there has to be more to the story. And I started researching. I, I really became addicted to the story. Well, I can see why. It's amazing. I mean, once you find out that, you know, once you get hooked on it, you want to know how it ends, you know, and it took years and years for it to end. And in some ways it really hasn't, but well, so is. you figured it out and you, you have a, you have a, uh, you, you like history uh, that you prove that with your books about, about the Coke trail and you have a feel for it, you know, and you, it seems like this is part of kind of where you came from. So I'm guessing all that kind of kind of came together and you decided to dive in, correct? I did. And and fortunately, I was able to find a lot of people that would help me, uh, like the granddaughter of the family that saved the crew and the historian, the maritime historian at the museum at the Eagle Harbor Lighthouse. Uh, he'd been onto this thing for years and had, had dug up some information and had some photos and so forth. Now the book time is loaded, as you probably have seen, with some great photos. And one of the reasons those photos are there, the captain of the rescue boat that rescued the crew was a photo nut. He oh, yeah. Thank it. God for that, because the photographs are amazing. They are. Absolutely. I mean, they make the story. You see all the photos of the ships iced over. I'm sorry, the the the, the cars on the ship where they before they had to hack them out. And then you see these long caravan of this 200 old 1926 model Chryslers on this icy. I mean, it's just it's unworldly. I, you know, you've never seen anything like it. It's just it's just amazing. Well, and, and the shot, you know, you finally get them all to, to Copper Harbor, population 24 or whatever, and here's 200 and some Chryslers lined up in this field in Copper Harbor. I mean, it's, it's surreal. How did they get there, you know? Exactly. So tell us real quick, don't, you know, don't take 90 pages, but just tell us really quick what happened to the city of Bangor. Here you had this big ship at a time when they were transporting new cars across Great Lakes, I guess, to car dealers from uh, going from uh, Detroit to places like Duluth and Minnesota and whatnot. What happened to the ship? Obviously, it ran into weather, for starters. 
Right. It, it, it actually ran into weather twice. Uh, it was going up Lake Erie and uh, got into a bad storm, but they were able to get through uh, the locks and get into Lake Superior. And uh, But it, it really got bad. So he headed off for Harbor to Whitefish Bay. That, by the way, is where the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald tried to make it. Um, and he stayed there a day and it kind of lessened the next day and he thought, yeah, let's go on to Duluth. Mistake. Gets into a terrible storm off the Keweenaw Peninsula. And because the boat is redesigned to haul cars, not ore, it sits higher in the water. So consequently, the storm really raises cane with it. And basically, they lose the rudder. It gets tossed onto this reef and, and a big gash. And, and basically, is there it sits and it's, it's trash. And in um, the meantime, the weather is horrific, right? This is now, we're talking, what is it, November that this November, is happening in? End of November 1926. And if you talk to anyone who sails... The, the Great Lakes, the worst time to be on Lake Superior is November. And right. The- and so the ship sat there on this reef, uh, unable to budge with 200 plus cars as cargo. And now uh, the weather descends, well, it already descended. And so over a period of time, it gets encrusted with ice and snow. And meanwhile, you've got the crew freezing their butts off. When did, so what was the timetable for that? That they all get off pretty quick yeah, or well, how were they, they stuck? fairly quick uh, because they, they were able to hack a, a lifeboat free for, and and go to shore and then, you know, back and forth with, with the boat until they got everybody on shore. Uh, so that was accomplished. But the big mistake, the captain thought that they were west. They yeah. went of <laughs> Copper Harbor. The fact of the matter is they were east. And so they get when they finally get on shore, they think if we can get to Copper Harbor. So they start walking east, thinking they're west, right? Right. So they walk two hours in the wrong direction, basically. In the wrong right? direction. So Unbelievable. And so this is at this time, it's still, I guess, sub-zero. It's probably snowing. There's ice everywhere. And these guys, they have basically have the clothes on their back, right? They've got their little Oxford shoes on. I mean, right. none of them were none of them were dressed for a blizzard, correct? No, some of them are from Detroit, you know. And that, oh, this is going to be a cruise, you know, right? <laughs> for the good times. So, so they literally came very close to freezing to death out there. Sure, but the good news is that they were only actually trudging through this stuff for I think it was two days, right? Right. Ironically, another boat had crashed um, off the, the peninsula in an area where they were trying to go for harbor. And that boat wasn't as badly damaged. A couple of the guys from the crew got off, were able to, to find a phone and call the Coast Guard rescue crew in Eagle Harbor. So the crew goes out to rescue these guys. And, and they, don't, they go right by the banger, don't even see it, the weather's so bad. On the return trip from rescuing them, they finally see the boat. So the captain goes in there. There's nobody around the boat. So he continues on. He gets a little bit further uh, to the west. And here's the crew struggling along in the snow along a little harbor. He pulls in there and he tells them, light a fire. Like a big fire, like get this crew to Copper Harbor, I'll come back and get you guys. So mm-hmm. he came back, 
got them to Copper Harbor. From there, we now have a town that has probably tripled in population because it has 50 rescued crewmen. So where do you put them? Well, right. the first ship, the crew from the one that, that was called in first, they ended up going back to the Coast Guard station in Eagle Harbor. The second crew, uh, they were able to find a home, the, the Berg home mm-hmm. in Copper Harbor. You know, Mr. Berg, bless his heart, had just, had just slaughtered a couple of hogs, so they had plenty of pork, and he had a good cow, you know, and they had chickens, so they got them in, fought them out. So, they, so a lot of these guys, they basically, I'm guessing, collapsed in front of the fireplace, exactly. you know, in absolute exhaustion and just kind of fell asleep, basically. They did. They did. And and one of the sons tells a story. His job after getting them to the house was to then mop up the water that accumulated from the melting snow and ice. More on Shipwrecked and Rescued with Larry Jorgensen in just a moment. The Earth is dying a slow death. The 5,000 people living on the moon are in trouble. Their paradise has become a cautionary tale of human weakness. We need a hero. Enter Rick Mack and the Planetary Commission to save the Earth, the moon, and themselves. Moon Rescue. Escape from the Dome by Tom Krantz. Now available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook. Now, here's what I keep coming back to. You mentioned before, it was a while before they found a phone, right? So in 1926, or I guess by now it's 1927, somewhere right, right around there, there's no, there's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's no GPS. It's not like you can pop a phone out of your... Exactly. You have to find a phone and it's 1927. So it's not like there's phones everywhere too, right? Absolutely. Okay. So they find the guys, the guys all survived, as I recall, correct? I think some right. of them had frostbite. Right. Pretty bad shape. Though. Right. Because, you know, two days in sub-zero weather with freezing conditions and no food and no water, blah, blah, blah. So let's put them aside for a minute. These guys are okay. Now you got a boat full of 200 plus Chryslers sitting on a reef covered with ice and snow. And the guy, Mr. Chrysler, who at the time was Chrysler, he wants them back. Right. So he hires a salvage company out of Duluth. And he says, I'll pay you $140 a car if you can get them back to me in Detroit. So the first thing they do is they set up a a guard shack to watch the boat. Okay. Uh, Now, the, the wreck happened in November. By January, the water around the reef had frozen enough that it would support a vehicle. Mm. So they, okay, now's our chance. They build a ramp onto the, onto the boat, and one by one, they get the cars off of there. Uh, it was not an easy task because some of them didn't have batteries. Mm. So the ones that they got off the car, off the boat, when they got them finally to their destination of Copper Harbor, somebody had to take the batteries back to get the rest of them back to Copper Harbor. <laughs> so, and these cars actually functioned after all that? Obviously, they did. They did. Now, there, there is a picture in, in the book of one car uh, being uh, brought out 
on a sleigh pulled by horses. Right. It, it got tumbled off the boat. When it hit the reef, it got tumbled into the, into the shore. And it was, as one of the crewmen described, it looked like a ball of metal. You know? Oh, well. <laughs> well, I also saw, and so then I also read that they had to get fuel to these cars. So they brought up uh, gasoline, essentially, in a specially equipped vehicle. I mean, this was before snow tires and everything. And I saw a picture of that one vehicle that you talked about. It had the chains on the back and skis on the front. Yeah, that vehicle was not used to haul the fuel. No, that, but the, go ahead. That, that vehicle rescued. Well, first of all, it took the insurance man up there to declare the ship a loss. Okay, but it also rescued the one the guys that were at the Berg House that were really in bad shape. It rescued them, got them to the hospital in Lorium, about forty miles away. Uh, the rest of the ones were taken there by horse and sleigh. Um, but that 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 vehicle, and it was pretty experimental in those days, made the trip several times mm. from Calumet to Copper Harbor, 40 miles one way through snow, you know, and uh, did a, a tremendous job in saving lives and equipment. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the whole the whole project itself, when you think of the manpower that must have gone into, you know, once they found everybody and once they found the cars, you know, building whatever this structure was to get the cars off, which I guess was a combination of timber and ice, really, right? Because that's what was right. there. Right. And then getting them off and then, you know, <laughs> moving the batteries around and filling them with gas cheese. I'm just, you know, I'm just, it's, it's, I'm wrapping my brain around how that happened. So they get the cars and they, and eventually they get the cars to Calumet. Is that where they ended up? Well, they, they get them to Copper Harbor first. Okay, that's right. They drive along the Lake Superior shore, which is strong enough now to support them. So they get 200 and some Chryslers in Copper Harbor. You know, it's it just unbelievable. Well, the road from Copper Harbor to Calumet, which isn't much of a road to start with, and in the wintertime, they don't even plow it. Now, you're talking about an area that this past winter got three over 300 inches of snow. Mm. Okay, yes. so... They get there's two counties involved on that peninsula. They get the road crews from both counties involved in trying to clear the road. It takes them three weeks and they bring in a special new turbine type uh, snowplow from Minnesota to help them. They get the road open. Now we got to get the cars from Copper Harbor to Calumet. <laughs> So the word is, if you want to drive one, we'll give you five bucks mm. okay, per car. So they hired these random people just to drive the cars, basically. Just to drive the cars. And there were a lot of schoolboys who missed school that day. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. So eventually, so we had 200 and how many? 220 some cars, right? What happened to the cars? Okay, the cars were all supposed to get to... Uh, Calumet and be loaded on a train to go back to Detroit. Um, some of them, strangely enough, didn't make it. We're not sure how many. We've tracked down at least a couple, but um, they, you know, they kind of disappeared for a while. And the one in particular that we tracked down uh, sits in a museum today, up in Eagle Harbor. Uh, about five miles from the wreck scene, that car has over 200,000 miles on it, and there is an axe mark on it, 
where the ice was chopped away to get it off the boat. So we tracked the history of that car. It, it 200,000 miles, who owned it? You know, how did it get to where it's at now? It, the, the car is an amazing thing. Uh, besides the Chryslers, there were six whippets on that boat. And, you know, I took the liberty of saying none of them went back to Detroit because let's face it, Chrysler's paying for the rescue. Uh, we found two of them. We have a picture in the book of mm -hmm. one of them. And we talked to a lady who has been in the peninsula forever. And she admitted that when she was young, she bought one at an estate auction. Mm -hmm. So we definitely tracked down two of the, the whippets. Who knows what happened to the other four? So a whippet was a brand of car that was, uh, that was, uh, it, it had on its, on the hood ornament was actually a whippet, which is a dog. Right. It's kind of a cross between a greyhound and a, it's a very slim dog and it, it was actually kind of a cool, a kind of a cool hood ornament, but that company didn't last very long, I think, right? Well, not in making cars, it didn't. Uh, the Willis company, you know, which went on to make Jeeps, more money selling cars, you know, to the government. And, uh, they, they, at that time, they were based out of Toledo. How the six cars got from Toledo to the boat in Detroit, I'm not sure. We couldn't mm. find that story, but they were on there. Well, uh, you know, of those 220-some cars, we know for sure where one is, and we know where, what, where another one, where one of the whippets was. But do we think the other 200 cars are like, you know, secretly in people's garages someplace? Or no, most of them did go back. Okay. Uh, I did talk to a gentleman who is the uh, nephew, great nephew of the man who was the Chrysler dealer uh, in Calumet at that time, and he says, "Oh, they all went back." Well, well, we know they didn't all go back. Mm. But most of them did. There were, you know, five, six. I get, since the book has come out, I have people that contact me and say, well, you know, my my grandfather or my uncle was was a kid in those days, and he drove one of those cars. Ah. And and he told me they didn't all go back. You know, I so. bet. That's pretty funny. So um, where can we buy Shipwrecked and Rescued by Larry Jorgensen? Where can we buy this book, Larry? The best place, of course, would be my website, which is shipwreckedandrescued.com. And I'll, I'll even sign it to you if you want. Just it's a beautiful website, folks, shipwreckedandrescued.com. All the words are exactly the way they sound. Uh, the site's beautiful. You can purchase the book there. It's not on Amazon, correct? Not yet, but it will be. Eventually, yeah, I found it on on your website, but you graciously gifted me a copy of it, and I'm so glad you did. You got anything else in the hopper, or are you just going to worry about selling this one for a while? Well, I've got a couple ideas that have been triggered by being up here in the North Country, and you know, you you, you get addicted to a story and you you hang on to it. But right now, I'm enjoying meeting people who are truly fascinated by the story, and it's not just shipwreck people or Great Lakes people, it, if you notice on the back cover, mm -hmm. there's, there's a review from a gentleman who is an antique car collector. Mm, sure. They also are fascinated by an antique car that still exists with 200,000 miles that was rescued. 
Oh yeah, there's car clubs all over. I'm in New Jersey. There's a million car clubs here, and they they love this stuff. So, you know, it's as you said, it's not just for Michigan people and for shipwreck fans. It's for a much huger audience. Larry, I once again really appreciate you being with me. I hope that the weather does stays nice for the rest of your time up in Wisconsin, and then you're headed back to uh, Louisiana. That's where you live right now, right? Yeah, the food's better now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Larry Jorgensen, once again, thanks for being with me and good luck with the book. It's time to grab your beach reading. Your great escape is waiting at TomCransBooks.com. Contemporary fiction in the Bud and Maggie series, sci-fi adventure in the Earthmoon Rescue series. Visit TomCransBooks.com for detailed descriptions and links to the ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook editions. That's TomCransBooks.com. You deserve a great escape.